is when you are delivered, when God delivers you from a life, but we learn to live satisfied apart from his presence. And what does that look like and what happens and how do you get there? And we're going to look through scripture and we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at a man named Aaron. We're going to look at his life and see where it takes us. But basically it's, it's this, if you go to the mountain of God, you're going to get changed. And that's where God wants you, and that's where God's going to meet you, is you waking up every day and going to the mountain of God. But the thing is, if you don't go to the mountain like Aaron did, man, God's image in your head is going to change. And that's where we go apart. That's where we leave and, and, and start to separate ourselves from God. You know, we look at the, 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 the people, the Israelites, when they're leaving Egypt, and I'm going to ask, where was Moses taking the Israelites? A lot of people say the promised land. But that's not where he was taking them. Moses was taking the people, the Israelites, God's people, to the Mount Sinai. Man, he said through Moses to, to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go that, you, that they may come and worship me. Man, and where did Moses meet God? On Mount Sinai. So Moses was going to take these people to the place where his life was changed. To the place where he first met God. Because... If he took the people to the promise before they ever met the promiser, those promises become idolatry in their lives. And we're going to talk about where the promises of God in our lives have become idolatry, where we've lifted up healing, but we don't know who the healer is. Man, we've lifted up prosperity, but we don't know the guy who has made that possible for us. Man, I like to... to to use the example of the iPhone, we know the iPhone and the iPhone 4S and the iPhone 5, and, but we don't know who Steve Jobs is. You could ask a lot of people, and they're not going to have no idea who he is, the guy who made this thing. Why is that? Well, because we don't know him. And we don't know what, he, what he's been through. We don't know what his life has been like. We just know what he gave us. And that's what we put above him. That's what we do with the promises of God, and that's what we do with in life. And that's how we begin to separate ourselves from the presence of God, and we learn to live satisfied with that. So we're going to look, and I'm going to go through Exodus 19 right now. We're going to start off in Exodus 19, verse 24, and we're going to look at Aaron's life, and, and God says, get away, get down, and then come up, and you and Aaron with you. So God is saying to Moses, hey, I want you and Aaron to come up to the mountain. I want you guys to come and see me face to face. Come and stand in my presence. And we're going to skip to, to chapter 20, verse 21, and this is when they go up. And it says, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness which God was. But wait a minute, Aaron was invited too. That's weird to me. Aaron was supposed to be there, but only Moses is mentioned of actually going up to the mountain. Man, and what happens is the people told Moses, that they said, hey, you go up, you go spend time with God, and we'll stay back here, and, and we'll do whatever you say God tells us to do. We'll do that, but we're going to stay back here. And I think a lot of times I find myself sitting there telling, hey, Pastor Tom, you get with God. Hey, you go up and you spend time in his presence, and then you come, and I'll come on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, if, if, if the weather's okay. I'll come to church, and I'll hear what God has to say, and, and then I'll do it. But if you look throughout the lives of the Israelites, they don't always do what God told them to do. And that's why, because they've never been changed by God's presence. So I'm going to look in Exodus verse 24, and we're going to read a couple verses. And he said to Moses, so this is after Moses went up, he came back and, Moses, and God's talking to Moses. He said, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nahab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. So God says, hey, I want you guys to come up. 
you and Aaron, and bring 70 elders and come up and worship me. And then he says, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. People are staying at the bottom. They're going to camp out down at the bottom. Moses and the 70 elders and Aaron are going to come up near the top, but only Moses, and we're going to read again that Joshua, Moses and Joshua go farther, and the 70 elders and Aaron stay there. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So in recap, you got Moses at the top, he is seeking God's face. He's face to face with God. Then you got Joshua somewhere between Moses and the other 70 other guys and Aaron. And then you got the people at the bottom. Keep going. We're going to go. And then he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let them go to them. So this just shows me that Aaron is a, he's in leadership. Man, Aaron is a, is a leader among the elders. And, God, and Moses says, okay, if you guys have anything you need, go talk to Aaron. They, they got it. They're going to be in charge. They're going to be good. Let's go to the next verse. Like 13. Well, we, we're this there, weren't we? Anyways, Moses stayed up at the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That's where Moses was. He spent time with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And the next time that we look into Aaron's life, Aaron's back down at, at, the, at the bottom of the mountain. In that 40 days, and in, while he was told, hey, I need you to stay there, he moved back down to the bottom of the mountain. Man, and that's where I'll see myself all the time. I'm at a certain spot with God, and I'm like, okay, wait here, but man, it's not quick enough. And maybe I waited 10, 15 days, and I feel like that's pretty good. Now I'm going to head back on down. And what's cool is, is Aaron, well, it's not cool. Aaron was continually retreating from God. Man, we, we just went over two or three times where Aaron has, was supposed to be somewhere with God, or he was asked to come and be with God, but time and time again, he continually draws back. And the reason is he, was more, he found more comfort in the presence of the people than he did in the presence of God. Man, we got to make sure that we don't find... Man, it, it is what it is. We're going to find more, more comfort in the presence of the world than we are going to find in the presence of God. Because when we're, when, when we're in the presence of God, it's going to cause us to open up. Man, we're going to have to stand there, transparent, and say, God, this is, this is me. This is wh- where I'm at. And that's not fun. But that's what God requires of us in order to get to the destiny that He has for us. Man, all the camp is, is just, it's just the church today. Man, where we're at the bottom of the mountain, and that's where we like to say we can see the feet of God, but we're not ever going to go up to, the, to God's face. Why? Because that would cause us discomfort. Man, in reality, we're far from His heart. In reality, when we don't every day take time to go and seek His face, man, you just draw farther and farther away from God's heart. And if you're not close to His heart, you cannot get what God has for you. And so we're going, to look, we're going to keep looking into Aaron's life. And in Exodus 32, we're just going to read through it. Man, this is a lot of what happens to us. It's, a, it's almost a guide of what happens when you are continually drawing away from God. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the gold earrings which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. 
And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Man, isn't it crazy that when something doesn't happen instantaneously, when something doesn't go the way we want it to, and as soon as we want it to, we try and move on? We try and figure out, okay, well, what can I get? What can I do? And that's what these people did. When they saw that Moses didn't come back down as soon as they want, when he was delayed, man, they went to Aaron. Hey, who's the next guy in charge that's going to give us what we want? Hey, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna sway? Who's, who can I get to sway and give me exactly what I want right now? And that's what they did. They went to Aaron, the guy in leadership. Why? Because Aaron would use his gifts not to do what God wants, but what the people would want. Aaron was going to sway. And that, hey, man, we're, everyone in this room is the leader in, in some area of life. Man, we believe here that if you're a believer, you're a minister. And I, I promise if you're a minister, you are a leader. Man, you're out there every day doing stuff. And you've got to make sure that, that you're not going to just sway to whatever's easiest. That you're going to hold out patience. Being able to stay the same no matter what the circumstance. Man, these people didn't have patience. They grew weary and they started to sway in their faith. Man, this Moses guy, man, they, they cut out the leadership of him. Man, they cut him out completely from leadership, and that's who they wanted to bash. Which is weird because, man, God's the one that brought him out of Egypt. Moses is just obeying, the, obeying what God has told him to do. But how many times do we find ourselves cutting down leadership because they're not getting, we're not getting the results we want? How many times do people leave the church because that's not, what that's not the way that they think the church should be going? So I'm going to go find something that fits my needs, something that's going to give me what I desire, and I'm going to go get it now, and then I'm going to call it a God thing. What did he say? He said, he said okay, we, this Moses guy, who is he? Where is he at? Go get, go get your earrings and, and, and bring them to me, and I'll make a God. And so what did he do? They went and they, 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 it says he fashioned it with an engraving tool. He, he molded a calf with a tool. It was hand sculpted. And he built this God and he called it the God that delivered us from Egypt. What? Hello. It's a cow and it's God. The cow didn't walk with you guys out of Egypt. God did. But that's what we do. God, I want healing now, I, I, and, and if I don't get it now, I'm going to go and find my own thing. I'm going to go do it my way. People that, God, I'm looking for a spouse, and it's taken way too long, so I'm going to go get someone. I'm going to find the next best thing, and then I'm going to call it a God thing. Look what God has done in my life. Man, and half the time, we don't even realize that we're doing it. Why? Because it's become, it's become ordinary for us to do it. It's become a habit for us to get weary and, and, and start to sway and then figure out what's the best thing that I can get for myself. What can I make happen? And so that's what we go to. And then we call it the God thing. And then when we're walking around, and we're coming to church and saying, look what God has done in my life. Look what he's done in my life. This is the God I serve. Man, Aaron uses gifts to please the people, the world, and he didn't use it for God's desires. And what's cool is, and it says that they made us a God that shall go before us. And and as for Moses, we don't know what's become of him. 
But what's, cool, what's weird to me is they use God when they say they created Him and, and this is the Lord our God that brought us out of, the, out of the land of Egypt. Well, that word God in Hebrew is Elohim. And it's used approximately 2,250 times in the Old Testament. Roughly 2,000 of those times that it refers, it refers to Almighty God, which is the God that we serve. It refers to the one true God. But then there's about couple times, 250 times, where it refers, to, it says Elohim in the text, but it refers to a false god. So I think somewhere in the Old Testament, the translators got a little concerned with which god they put, they just kind of mixed it up. But like we see in, in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, it's Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Make sure you read it in context, because you don't want to think that some false god is actually God when it says God, but there's, you know what I'm saying? So make sure you read that. Um, so what he did, he had him go get their gold and they received it and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. So fashion literally means to mold it into form. And then he said, this is your God. And they used the word Elohim right there. This is your God. But then he says in verse five, for tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is Jehovah or Yahweh. And, and, and Yahweh is literally the most sacred word in that time, in that, in the era of time in the Hebrew. And when they went to write it out, they would take out the vowels because they weren't worthy enough to write it all the way out. So in essence, this is what Aaron says. They molded the calf and they pointed to it and said, Behold, Yahweh, the one true God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Man, they called it the most sacred name and they... Where do you... And you think, and you, when you look at it, you're like that, you're like, what idiots... Like, where do, you, where do you go and how do you get off on, on doing this? I mean, they never they didn't say, behold, this is Baal or Satan, the guy that delivered us. No, they called it God, the one true Lord. And what they did is they reduced God's glory to the level of that image of a golden calf. But that's what we do in our own lives. We reduce God's glory to what I can create for myself. To the job that I can make happen for myself. That's where God's glory is at in my life. And that's the cap that I put on Him. God, you can do about this much because that's what I can do. When God has ceilings and ceilings of stuff that He wants to do in your life, you've just capped Him because you can't wait a little bit. Because you don't have the faith to get through the storm. So you go ahead and make it happen on your own. And, and they acknowledge that God, Jesus, saved them and delivered them from Egypt. But they didn't deny His healing power. All they did was they reduced His glory. Man, a lot of times in our life we reduce, God, what, we reduce what God has done or could have done to the outcome that we can create. Man, I look at marriage, finances, jobs. It's what we do. Man, I, I got to have it now. So I'm going to go make it happen and I'm going to be satisfied with that outcome. Man, it says they were happy. They, they had a, like a church service when, after they made it. They had a feast. It was, it was, they were happy with it. Man, they didn't even realize what they were doing. Man, isn't it almost sickening that we can go through life not realizing that we're creating false gods in our life? And we're putting them at God's level of glory? Or at least we think we are. But in reality, we're just reducing it to what we can do. Man, and it says in Exodus 32, verse 7, it says that God told Moses, He said, go, go get your people for who you brought out of Egypt, for they have corrupted themselves. Literally, that word corrupted means to decay. Man, when we are far from God's heart, when we're not up on the mountain with God, we're eventually going to decay. 
for and, and, and everything that's distanced from God's heart, eventually it deter, deteriorates. Man, if you're far from God's heart, you're slowly but surely deteriorating. And you're going to wake up one day and go, where am I? What am I doing? Who have I, what, God, and, and you're not going to say, what am I doing? You're, God, where are you at? God, why aren't you rescuing me? Why, are you, why aren't you doing that? Well, he can't because there's so many false gods or so, many, so much idolatry that you put up in your own life that he can't even get to you. Man, Jeremiah 2.13, it says that, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and then honed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Man, God is the, he's the fountain of life, and we, if we hold on to what God gave us in the past and we play church at a place far from his heart, we're going to slide back. Man, we're going to get to a place where every time we try and take steps forward, we're going to slip. It's like watching Ryan and Taylor try and drive out of the parking, out of our driveway last night. Man, every time they step on the grass, it just slips. Not going anywhere. It is what it is. I think about football. I think about, man, when, when we were playing football, if we got a win on a Friday night, which was rare, but if we got a win on a Friday night, man, Saturday and Sunday, we're, we're excited. Man, yes, did you see what we just did? Did you remember when I, that, that hit I made? And then, but if we go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we're still focused on last week's win, man, when it comes game time Friday, we're, we're done. Man, we don't know what formation they're going to be running in. We don't know what their linebackers are doing when we, when we switch to trips right. Man, we don't know what to expect because we haven't been studying. We haven't been focusing our time on getting better. We're just focused on last week's victory. But that's what these guys did. They're focused on things of the past. And so they're going to they're gonna keep focused. But the next time something comes, oh, what are, what are we going to do? Man, you're going to slide back because you're far from God's heart. Luke 9.23, it says, and, and this is... I believe it's Paul, and he said to them, if anyone desires to come after, this is Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You guys, this is a daily, daily, daily battle. Man, every day I'm getting up and I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going after Jesus. Man, I can't not pick it up and just remember, oh, yesterday I did good. Man, yesterday I, I carried that sucker a long, long, it was a long day. And I'm going to set it down today and just kind of go on with my day. No, God has stuff for you that day. The Bible says that my grace is sufficient enough for you. Don't worry about yesterday or tomorrow, but it's sufficient for you today. Man, I, I, I've been talking to the youth, and man, every morning you should be getting up and getting in the Word and seeking God's face that morning. Man, it's not an afternoon thing. It's not an evening thing. It's that morning because there's things that God's going to give you that's going to help you win battles for that day. Man, I can't take yesterday's manna and expect to eat it today. And that's what we do. We take yesterday's provision or, or yesterday's victory in our life and we expect it to be the same thing today. Well, if it happened then, it's going to happen now. And we, we end up getting farther and farther and farther away from God's heart. Exodus 32 verse 19, this is where it happens. This is a confrontation between Moses and Aaron. And it says, so as he came near the camp, Moses is coming down from the mountain he saw the calf in the dancing. Man, they're having a good time. It's a, it's a good day at camp. And Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. 
Then he took the calf which they had made, they burned it in the fire and, and grounded it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Yuck. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that have brought so great a sin upon them? Man, it's one thing to lie to my parents when, you know, when they're not mad. It's like, you know, when you're younger and you broke something and they're not mad. They're just like, hey, who did this? And you, Evan, Evan did it. When it was really me, it's one thing. But to lie to my parents when they're already mad, man, that's a whole nother thing. That's a, a way bigger thing. And what Aaron says is he starts to talk and he starts to say, you know, this is what happened. The people came to me. They wanted to do this. And so I got all the gold together. And he starts, he starts to tell the truth. But then he throws this weird little twist in and he says and when I threw the gold in that's what came out I don't I don't know what it was dad I didn't you know that's what happened it's it's weird and and it's like okay (laughs) step back a minute it reminds me of the time that TJ was out at my parents cars and my dad came out and he sees TJ and he's spray painting my mom's bumper and he comes up and he says TJ what are you doing and he goes it's okay dad I didn't touch your car. <laughs> well, okay. What's weird to me is Aaron didn't get punished. Aaron, it doesn't say anything about God's wrath coming down on Aaron or, or him being judged for the, the sin that he committed or anything like that. It doesn't. And so you start to think, if it's just, why? Why does he not? What happens? And here's the deal. Aaron didn't go to the mountaintop. He didn't get to see God face to face because he chose not to. He didn't behold God's glory and he didn't abide with him like Moses did. So therefore, his inward image of God was shaped by the society in which he was raised. And that is what came out of him. Man, if you're not spending time with God, if you don't see God face to face and let him change you, you're going to revert back to what society says God is. And that's what's going to come out of you. Man, what does society say God is today? Man, Egypt in that, in that time period, man, man, Aaron lived in Egypt. That's where he's raised. His grandparents watched them die. They watched his parents raise and, and live in, in Egypt. And, and now he's there and he's getting delivered. He, all he knows is Egypt. 400 years of slavery. All he ever known ha, has known is Egypt. And so what does Egypt society do, man? They create false gods. They build statues and, and, and insects and animals, and that's what they worship. Man, that's all he knew, so that's what came out of him. That was what was on the inside of him, because he never allowed God to change him, because he was always drawing back. Man, John 3.3, 3, it says that, it says, Jesus assuredly say to him, most, most assuredly, I say to, to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man, it's one thing to see the kingdom of God, and that's where Aaron was at. He saw the kingdom of God. He saw where God was at. But then you look in verse 5, and we're called more than to just see the kingdom of God. It says, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You guys, we're called to enter the kingdom of God. We're called to enter God's presence and get our lives changed for Him to be allowed to come and alter who we are and what we think and the way that we are. Our being, he's, we're, allowed, we're supposed to allow him to do that. Man, Aaron never entered the kingdom of God. He just stood up far enough back and he watched it. Man, Paul said it. He said, man, you're, in order to get to the kingdom of God, you're going to have to go through many trials and tribulations. Man, it is what it is. 
But we're called to enter the kingdom of God. We're called to literally take steps and walk into His presence. And that's on your part. That's on my part. Man, we can't just play church and hope Pastor Tom did his job this week. We can't hope, hey, he's got seven days to figure out what he's going to talk on. But that's how a lot of us think. Man, we have to do our part. Aaron being delivered from Egypt is a type of us being born again. He didn't know God intimately. He played church at the foot of the mountain, which resulted in God's image being reduced to what he had absorbed from his surroundings. Romans 1.20-21 It says, For since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, but they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man, we don't give God the glory that He deserves. Man, we may see Him and we may know what He can do or the power, but we don't ever give Him what He deserves, the honor, the reverence, the, the glory that He deserves. Man, we acknowledge the, the deliverance of God in our lives, but, but we don't give Him the honor that He deserves. We don't give Him the glory that He, that he deserves. Man, we reduce what He can do in our lives. And we don't ever want to get there. And then he, Paul continues in, 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 uh, in verse 23. He says, The change and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man, we take God and we say, Boop, this is what you are. We're going to lower you to the, to the standards of an animal, of an insect, of a creeping thing, or what our society goes to his man, the corruptible man, the decaying man. That's where we're at. Man, I don't remember the last time I walked out and saw my neighbor Bill worshiping a, a, a cow he made out of wood. I'd, I'd call, you know, the crazy people. <laughs> but what do we worship? What does our society say is, is a God or is the corruptible man? Man, we put people on pedestals like Russell Wilson. Man, he's a great, he's a man of God. But that's what kids are putting up on their wall saying, man, I want to be like that guy. Man, we take Michael Jordan, the king of basketball, LeBron James. We put them up and kids are, are worshiping these guys. They're idols to them. Why? Because that's what they think they can get. That's what they, that's what they think they should be aspiring to. That's what our society has turned into gods. Man, that's where we have to look at, man. We are worshiping a mortal man. Man, Egypt was surrounded by golden images. We're surrounded by men who think they're golden. <laughs> when Aaron and the people drew away from God and the presence of the mountains, their image of God was formed by what Egypt worshipped. Today, when we draw away from the presence of God, our image is formed by what our society says is God. Man, it's called idolatry. And all idolatry is is a convenient form of worship. Man, it's a, it's a way, it's an easier way for me to worship something that I've created. It gives me what I want, the desires of my heart, but yet I still get to worship a higher being. Man, what, you think about it, what is it? What is this idolatry? It's anything you do that you put above God. Anything you do more of than spending time with God, you look at that as idolatry. Man, I'm big in the gym, and there'd be weeks where I'd go to the gym every single day at the same time, but my time with God would be a little off. Man, maybe I'll get to God tomorrow. Well, the gym is idolatry in my life. 
It's something I've placed above God. It's more important in my life than God. God, I, I'm going to get more out of this than I am going to be getting with spending time with God. Man, you cut work. I'm going to get more out of my job, God. God, you don't understand. I have to work in order to get money on the table and put food on the table. I think God's a little bit bigger than my job. I think what God has for me is a little bit more than the extra 33 bucks a week I'm going to get working an extra hour at the job. Man, but that's what we do. We place them at a higher, we place our things at a higher thing. Man, and all it is, it, it gives the creator the desires that he wants. Man, if you create a God and, and you desire sexual pleasures, well, that God's going to create a, a, a law that gives you the ability to fulfill your desires. And you're going to be okay because I'm still worshiping this thing. I still, in my mind, my mind is reverted or perverted this thing that it's God. And all it is is me reverting back to what my society says is okay. Man, and we, you look in, 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 in what, and what they did is Exodus 32 verse 6. Man, it says that they, they sat down and they gave offerings and they, they, man, they had a church service. Man, they tithed and, and they sang songs and they had a, a sermon and then it says they sat down to eat and drink. They had a potluck. Man, this is exciting. God's with us today. Look, everybody, God's here. We're going to have a potluck. That's what we do when God comes. We get potlucks. That's what the church does. And then, and then it says they rose up to play. And literally, they rose up to play. They went to tease their own flesh. They went back to their idolatry. Back to the ways of Egypt where sexual immorality was okay. Where they worship gods of sex and gods of, of, of sin and, and, that, and that nature. That's what they did. Man, it gave them what they wanted. Yet they were still able to call it God. And it says, and later on it says, by the time that Moses reached them, they were unrestrained. Man, you get to a point in your life where you start putting things above God, and you do it, and it starts in one area, and it may be small, and you may be, it's just this one thing, but then it starts to leak out into other areas of your life, and at some point you're going to wake up and find yourself unrestrained. Man, there's just no stopping unless you get a complete experience with God. Man, and God told Moses, he said, go get your people. The people you took out of Egypt. Man, he didn't even want to take ownership of this people that he said was going to be a prized possession to me. Man, a special people, a chosen generation. Man, he, Moses, go get them. I don't even want them. Man, I asked myself when I was reading this, has God ever told someone higher in my life, someone of authority, go get your Stephen. Man, go get the Stephen that you brought out of, out of his life of, of sin. Man, it's, it's sobering. Man, are we in a place where God's saying, Tom, go get, your, go get your congregation. Go get the people that you're leading. Because I don't want anything to do with them. And that's where they're at. Man, 2 Corinthians 11.4 in the CEV version, it says that we told you about Jesus and you received the Holy Spirit and you accepted our message, but you let some people tell you about another Jesus. Now you're ready to receive another spirit and accept a different message. Man, we hear the truth every week. Man, we hear who the real Jesus is every single week. But what happens when it doesn't go the way we want or it doesn't come as quickly as we need it to or it's not satisfying the, the desires that we think we have? We're ready and open to hear about another Jesus. We're ready and open to, to receive another spirit and accept a different message. And you can't be that way. You have to stand firm in your faith. God, I know you're the one true God, 
Man, I'm not. And what happens is when you do that, you get a different picture of who Jesus is. Man, you begin to serve the Jesus that's not at the right hand side of God. And then what do we do? We, we become evangelists. And we go out and we start telling all the people at work about this Jesus that we know. And we tell them how good He is in our lives. And we tell them what He's done for us. And we start, we start ministering the gospel of a false Jesus to other people. Of a Jesus that doesn't exist. But a Jesus that we've created in our heads. Because He gives us the desires of my heart, not His heart. Oh, you're going to go through a divorce. That's okay. God's going to forgive you. God's, God wants you to be happy. That's not the Jesus I know. Oh, you're thinking about getting an abortion. Hey, it's your choice. It's, it, you know, God's going to forgive you and he's going he's gonna to, you know, you know what? God's on your side. You do what you need to do. That's not the God I know. Man, the society says it's okay to be, to be gay and lesbian. That, hey, that's your choice. This is, the way I was, this is the way I was born. Society says that's okay, but that's not the Jesus that I know. Are you listening? Are you here? We have to make sure that the Jesus that's in our head, the Jesus that we believe is in our heart, is the true Jesus. And there's only one way to do that, and that's getting to the mountain of God and spending time in His presence. There's a story of two ladies. They're two married women. One, she's married. She's been married for a while, to, but she's been married to a non-Christian. And he usually verbally abuses her in her faith. This is a true story, by the way. And, and basically, she, he prosecutes her, which is what we're supposed to have happened to us anyways. It says that she, and she's having an affair with a man in her church who's a Christian man. And she tells her Christian friends, I'm happy, they know about it. She says, he brings me happiness, my husband doesn't. And they tell her, you know, we believe God wants you to be happy. We believe God wants you to have peace. So divorce your husband and go be with this man. But I wonder what Jesus, those, those friends of hers knew. The word divorce is, is okay, because God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have some peace, and, and that's not the Jesus I know. What'd she do? She divorced him, went and got remarried to that guy. And I'm sure she's happy. But so were the, so were the people at the bottom of the mountain that created the, the calf. They were pretty happy too. Then there's another lady who divorced, or who, uh, she's been married for several years, discovered that her husband was a homosexual. And for 10 years of her life, it was literally hell. The man was arrested for soliciting sex, and their son was the one who got the call to come pick up dad. And so what does she do? She starts to pray, and she says, she goes and seeks counsel with her church and with leadership, and they tell her, you have biblical standards that you can divorce your husband. It is, biblically, it's okay. Um, and so what does she do? What does she do? She, she starts to pray. God, what do I do? God, in this situation, when it seems like there's nothing I can do, there's no way I can get out of it, what do I do? And what does God tell her? He says, you can leave him, and I will bless you. And then he says, but you can stay, I will deliver him, and I will doubly bless you. And what happens is she stayed and prayed. And I believe that that's, as Christians, what we need to do. Sometimes in our situation, we just need to stay and pray. Fifteen years later, he's been delivered from homosexuality. He's been set free. They now pastor a very healthy church. Man, which Jesus did she know? Man, man. Who, who, which one of those ladies has been to the mountain to be transformed by God? Man, I'll tell you which one. It's the one that knew God's heart, that had the same exact heartbeat of God. Man, and that's where we need to be. 
at the end of the day, we're going to have two choices. We can be conformed into the image of Jesus by allowing the word of God that's spoken in the presence of God to change us. Man, and, I, and I urge you, that's the right choice. Or we can, be conf- we can conform Jesus into an image of what my heart desires. Man, at the end of the day, you're doing one, one or the other. I'm either being conformed by the word of God and listening and getting in his presence and being changed, never to be the same again, or I'm going to change the Jesus that, people, that I know, and I'm going to change him to fit my desires. Man, where are we at? Exodus 34, 29, the last verse. It says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know what the skin of his face shone while he, while he talked with him. Man, Moses was changed. Man, his face was different. I believe when you start spending time with God and you see God face to face and you're in his presence daily, the way that you look, the way that you act, the way you are, your being is, is going to be changed. Man, and that's where we got to get, to the mountain. We got to get to the mountain to seek God, seek his face and change. Because if you stay at the foot of the mountain like Aaron did, your image of God changes. And so today, like I said earlier, I believe that, that we're here today not because we're stormtroopers, but because God has a divine appointment for us. Because God, you woke up today and said, you know, I am going to go to church. And that wasn't on your own thing, but that was God saying, no, you need to go. Because God is trying to get you. God wants to get you. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to change it so that you're set up to get to the outcome that he has already set for you. But he can't. Because we've built these idols and these, and these, these false gods and we serve a Jesus that doesn't exist in our life and it blocks us. It blocks God from getting to us. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want, I, I want, today I want you guys, I want every, every head bowed. And, and the prayer teams, they're going to come up and they're going to stand right now here at the front of the altar. And I'm going to ask you that if you're in here today and you believe that you want to get all of God that you can, if you want your life to be changed forever, never to be the same, you want to stand in the presence of God, but you feel like you can't, maybe because today you've realized that you've put false gods up, maybe today you've realized that you've been serving a Jesus that doesn't really exist, man, I want you to come to the front. I want you to step out and begin to enter into the kingdom of God. Come stand in agreement with the people up here who are ready and willing to get your life right with God. To tear down strongholds that are in your life that you've built up. So if you're here today and you want to get rid of these false gods, or maybe you just want to know who the true Jesus is, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now and come to the front.